in my mind. But God has awesome plans for us. It's important that we maintain that he has more in mind for us than what we can even imagine. Because in that process, we have a challenge to ourselves to try to imagine the things that God wants to attain in our lives. And, and we're going to talk about that some. We are going to talk about the parable of the sower. And I'm going to be in Mark chapter 4, if you want to turn to there. Um, and we've talked about the, the seed on the wayside. We've talked about the seed uh, in the stony ground and the characteristics of that a bit. And, and that God's word in itself is is different than any other word because God's word itself possesses the, the power and ability to create itself, to do and perform the thing which he, he spoke for it to do. So, so his word is very unique, and it's, it's bigger than, than what we can even imagine. Pastor's talking about the, the love of God in Christ for us, and Seth and I were talking the other day. We were talking about he, he's, been, he's been trying to suck me into this vortex of of, of thinking that is like, oh man, I'm in a whirlwind in here. You know, I'm not sure if I can comprehend it all. But we were talking about the multi-dimensions and of God, and and uh, you know, when we we were just saying ourselves that how many dimensions are there? You know, of course, I think three dimensions or four dimensions. You know, and we were just talking about the love of God. How in that there's there's uh, at least four dimensions in it because he says that you may know the height, the length the breadth, and the depth of God. So, you know, I struggle with one dimension, okay? So when we get into the multi-layers aspects of what God has for us, you can just peel this thing back and peel this thing back and peel this thing back, and you're going to find more and more of him, more of his goodness, more of his character, more of his absoluteness, more of his, he is, I believe that he is perfect in every facet of humanity. I don't think anybody's going to come up to God and say, God, you got that mathematical equation wrong, because he's got it all just right. He knows, he knows science beyond science, math beyond math. He knows our human makeup. He knows our heart. He knows, the, he knows how, to, how to put things inside of us, cause them to grow, and we don't even know it. He knows us, and besides all that, he supersedes all those laws, as Pastor talked about last week, that uh, you know, when things don't make sense uh, in the natural or in the scientific, he just defies all the laws of science and just does his own thing anyways. So there is multi layers and facets to who God is and what God wants to do in our life. And I want to say that when we read about the parable of the sower, we're not focusing on the, the wayside. We're not focusing on stony ground. We're not focusing on thorny ground. We're not even necessarily focusing on the good ground. We're focusing on the seed and the, what the purpose of that seed is, is to be productive, is to produce fruit in our lives. So there has to be a goal. Every one of these steps of, of the parable of the sower requires something of you and me. It requires something of you and me, another step and another advancement. And somewhere along this advancement, we're going to find, find a challenge that maybe we're not ready to step over. And we're going to have to be ready to do that. So in Mark chapter 4, the parable of the sower, 
And let me say this too here. Anytime, and we see this a few times throughout Scripture, but in this passage, whenever Jesus says, let him who has ears to hear, let him hear, that's a sign. That's a cue. Lean into it. Dig into it. There's more to unwrap. We've talked about that before. But there's more to, to, to uh, release and unveil in what I'm saying to you. There's more for you. This is just, this is just the carrot bringing you into the, into the, the big, vast uh, uh, revelation of what God has to, to show us. So, but in this parable, this particular parable, parable, he doesn't say it about any other parable in verse 13. He says, do you not understand this parable? He said, how will you understand all the parables. And it's interesting when we read this parable and we start kind of trying to wrap our mind around it because we know there's things that, that are challenging to us to understand, right? Yeah. We talked about that last time, how whenever the disciples were struggling in the boat and Jesus, you know, had to uh, rescue them and he said, how come, he, how come you're, you're, you're struggling here? I'm paraphrasing is your heart still hardened? Do you not yet believe because of the loaves and the fishes? If you remember that, he had an expectation of when we see or hear of God's goodness, that that produces, produces something inside of us that enable, enables us to meet the current consequence or, or circumstance, okay? So he, he anticipates that when, when we see or hear something, that we, that we take that in and, and we absorb that into our, our person and, and begin to think, God, what can you do with this seed? What's the productivity? What is the fruitfulness? Where are we going with this seed? Because he didn't say things to us. He didn't speak things to us just for them to be nice little sayings. He said things to us so that they'd become life to us and they'd become life to others. They'd become fruitful in our lives. So, in, uh, we'll just read this parable real quick. The sower sows the word. These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word, which has been sown in them. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Never be temporary with the word of God. Be wholly committed or none, one or the other. But, but be, never be temporary. Never take the word of God in a way that we're just going to go, well, we'll just try this. If it doesn't work, well, we'll go on to our own thinking, our own ways. So when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. Another, and others are the ones in whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of for other things enter in and choke out the word, and it becomes unfruitful. In Luke 8, when it, in this uh, same parable, he says that it chokes out the word or that, it, that, that the, it, they are unable to bring fruit to maturity. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Unable to bring fruit to maturity. Now, if our focus is not on the, the types of ground, but our focus is on the, the fruitfulness of the seed and what God wants to do with that seed, then we have to ask ourselves, what does that look like? What does 100-fold fruitfulness look like? 
Just begin to imagine. You have to let your mind, we have to let our mind begin to imagine what that, what that would look like in our lives. Because all of us have maybe, maybe a five-fold fruitfulness or a 20-fold fruitfulness, or we have these ideas of getting steps, and you have to take steps. You don't get to 100-fold fruitfulness overnight. You have to grow and progress in it. But we have ideas of what that looks like. But in God's kingdom, what does a hundredfold fruitfulness look like? Pastor talked about the, the, the particles last week and, and how in our, in, when we're filled with the Spirit, that it, that it can fill our very being and, and that those particles will take on, I'll just say, another dimension or, or not subject to the laws of this world because now we're in the laws of Christ. And so what does that look like? I want you to think, I really do. Imagine. Does it look like anything we've read in the scriptures? Does it look like, um, you know, where, where challenges arise? I mean, I, I think of like David and Goliath and and. You know, when, when that big giant comes and face, faces you, you've got, you're, you're so full of the faith and, and the power of God that that giant falls with just a smooth stone, with just a simple word spoken that that giant comes collapsing down. Or I think of the times when your enemies pressed upon you and they're, they're laying traps for you and they're trying to, to ensnare you and, and, and destroy your life. And yet there in the midst of a lion's den, God shuts the mouths of the lions and ultimately ends up devouring your very enemy. You know, I think of, of these triumphs that we've read about in scripture and those are just there as a testimony for what God wants to do in our life. We pray for things often about family, friends, loved ones, co-workers, about hard, hard cases and, and difficult situations and sicknesses and diseases. And, and, and is there a place in hundredfold fruitfulness where we can see the testimonies that we've heard of in the past where, where we walk into the hospitals and we take them out with us, amen? Where we see the glory and power of God. Is there a place where in our imagination where we can imagine God doing the very things through our lives, through our hands, through our words that we've heard about and we've read about in the Scripture? Is there a place there? If there is a place there, if there is an imagination place, if I'll call it that for now, because it's actually a real place because it lives in the heart of God, because that's exactly what God wants to do in all of our lives. He wants to make each and every one of us a hundredfold fruitful, where wherever we go, there goes the kingdom of God. Wherever we walk, wherever we, we go, we possess the area that we live in, and that the kingdom of darkness cannot withstand the light of God's glory that's radiating from our lives. God wants that for us. Now, we got to imagine that. we got to see that. we gotta, we got to see that coming. Every prophecy that he speaks to us is trying to do that very thing, is trying to put it into our heart and into our mind so we can believe for that thing to come and manifest itself in our lives. 
But too often we push this thing off at, at arm's length or arm's distance as to whether it could begin to happen. And, and we think that someday it's going to happen. Someday it's going to arrive. Ladies and gentlemen, the promised land is there. All we got to do is step on into it and walk, leaving a few things behind. Amen. If we're going to walk in the promised land, we got to leave a few things behind. Okay. So if we want to walk in this hundredfold fruitfulness of God, it's there, it's in God's heart, it's in God's mind. He is, not, he is not holding it back from us. He is trying to pour it out upon us. And what he wants us to do is to begin to see it the way he sees it. Jesus said it, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I, I hear the Father saying. And that is what he was doing. He was seeing that hundredfold fruitfulness of God. And working through his life and, 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 and playing it out day by day, seeing it before it ever happened. He knew what he was going to do before he did it. Why? Because he saw it. Okay? All of this came, this journey on this parable kind of started with this. Uh, it was, uh, you know, life is overwhelming, is it not, at times? There's, there's a lot to, uh, that will, will consume you. Right. It, and it'll, 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 it can flat out just own you. Right. And sometimes I, need, I think of things in my work that I come in, I go, oh, man, that just, that just owned me today. And what I'm saying is it just consumed my whole day. Right. But uh, I don't want it to own me. <laughs> I want to be owned by one and him alone. Amen. Right. So, so. Life is overwhelming, but I remember Tam and, and Hannah were having a conversation about, of course, this was, I think, December, November, somewhere in there like that. But she has a lot more willpower than I do. Uh, but, uh, you know, they, they were making this commitment. They were going to get up and start exercising every day, right? And, and in my, you know, full faith, confidence, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see how long that lasts, you know. And back in that, I, but, but I made this statement, and I said, you can do anything you want to do as long as you're willing to say no to something else, okay? You can do anything you want to do as long as you can, you're, you're willing to say no to something else because you cannot have it all, ladies and gentlemen. We were not meant to have it all. We were not to possess this world. We were, be, we were to possess Christ. We were not possessed the things of this world or, or, or the nature of this world. We, were, we are to be possessed by him and, and possess him. So, so uh, in order to have the things that in our mind, if we want that hundredfold fruitfulness, there's a few things we got to say no to, right? There's a few things that we've got to battle for. So if just using some natural examples, you know, if you want to, you know, uh, what do they call that? Uh, beach body or whatever they call that. Uh, or Arnold Schwarzenegger or, you know, you know. If you want all that, you can have all that. But you can't have all that and your nightly bowl of ice cream. I'm sorry. You can't. You can have whatever you want to possess as long as you're willing to say no to something else, all right? You want to be financially secure, okay? I'm going to meddle here a little bit, all right? 
So you want to be financially secure, okay? Well, in order to do that, I need what? What do you need? You don't need anything but the ability to say no to a few things. Because we don't say no to things, so therefore we go get in debt, and therefore our debt piles up, and, and I'm in there with you. Don't get, don't, don't, don't get scared. Uh, but we, we, the ability to say no to something else, to possess something of greater value. The ability to say no to possess something of greater value. So when, if you want something bad enough, you got to value it above the things that's keeping you from getting to there. Okay? You got to value it be above those things. So we have to have the, have the ability to say no to some things. And really what we have to do is we have to make our, the yes that we want to be yes. Remember in Romans where Paul said, the things that I would do, I, do, I, I don't do. And the things that I would not do, those things I do. We have to make our yes to the things that we want to do big enough that the no pales in comparison. That the no is simply an easy exchange because we're not going to go there. We're not going to do that. I'm not going to harbor bitterness and anger and hatred in my soul. Why? Because there's a bigger yes of what I'm going for, and this is a small price to pay in order to get to here. I'm not going to harbor self-righteousness uh, or pride or arrogance. I'm going to humble myself before the Lord. I'm going to do that. Why? Because there's a bigger yes than what this price is to pay. And that's, that's, the, that's the focus as we look at and imagine what is hundredfold uh, fruitfulness look like or potential in our life? What does it look like? What does it take to get there? Now. Now. We just said it says taking, saying no to a few other things. But when we think about what it takes to get there, Oh, I want that anointing that that person has. I'm just not sure I'm willing to walk that path. I'm not sure I want to go through that experience. God, I want you to rescue me from my enemies, but Lord, I'd really like to stay out of that lion's den, you know? We start measuring out the cost of what it costs us, and suddenly we find ourselves coming to a place where am I really ready to pay the price? Am I really ready to leave a few things behind? How big is my yes to the promised land? How big is my desire to walk in this hundredfold uh, potential that God has for us to, to leave a few things behind? How big is that yes? Is, this, is it going to be painful to us? To walk in that hundredfold fruitfulness? Is it, is it going to be a struggle? Is it going to be a challenge? Is it, is it going to be work to get there? I mean, do, is there things that I'm going to have to do? Is there not just some place that you know, we can drive through and put in our order and get it and go right on by? Is there not just some place where, where this thing gets cooked fast, like in two and a half minutes, you know, and I don't have to wait two hours for my food? Is there not some place that it's instantaneous where I can just say, okay, Google, and it gives it to me? Everybody's phone that's on Google just went off. But uh, um, <laughs> is there not, is there some shortcut that we're always looking for? There's not. There's not. There's a price to pay. 
And as we step through receiving God's seed, receiving the, the, the word of truth, knowing its potential of a hundredfold fruitfulness, and we push on in to say, God, we don't want to be the stony ground, so we're going to dig deep into this word till it becomes a part of us. We're going to hide it inside of us. We're going to protect it. We're going to nurture it. We're going to grow this thing until it begins to grow up and grow out outside of us. And then, Lord, lo and behold, here comes life. Life. Life comes. The worries of this life. The word worries there is actually uh, is, an, is in the form of being a distraction. Now, we know you have to pay your bills. We know that you have to take care of your family. We know that there's chores and there's responsibilities and things like that. But when those become a distraction... They have pulled you away from that 100-fold potential goal that we're moving at. Then we need to step back and say, God, prune this vine. Because prune away the things that are encroaching on my life. That's, that's beginning to suffocate me and, and take away some of these things. Because I guarantee you that there's probably at least 50%, maybe more, maybe not. There's a lot of things, I'll put it that way, in our life that could easily go and our life would be none the worse for it, right? But I want those things. I need those things. Oh, no, that thing broke. Now I got to fix that thing I think I want and need. Wait a minute. I got to have money to fix that thing that I think I want and need. So now I got to go to work to earn money to make extra money to fix that thing that I know that I want that I need. <laughs> Lots of things that we could easily live without. Easily. But we choose not to. We choose not to. So the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of riches. Um, you know, the idea that our life is, you really have to look at this and go, what's this going to cost me and what am I going to exchange? What am I going to give up? What am I going to leave behind to reach that hundredfold fruitfulness? What's the cost? What's the price? But God, I have ideas of things I'd like to accomplish, things I'd like to buy, things I'd like to possess. God, I have, I have goals with my career and goals with where I'm going. And Lord, I got, you know, I got my, my retirement all lined out as to, Lord, I hit this spot and hit the, That's good. That's good planning. Good. As long as it's subjected to him. As long as it's subjected to him and, and that it's within his plan for your life because he will mess up your plan. And he's not necessarily engaged in your plan as much as he's engaged in his plan. All right? So it's going to cost us. We have to ask ourselves, is it going to hurt? Is it going to, is it going to take a lot? Is it going to be work? Am I going to struggle with this thing? The answer is yes, you will. Okay? But we come face-to-face -face by asking ourselves that question. We come face-to-face. -face, what am I willing to pay to walk in a hundredfold fruitfulness with God? What am I willing to give up? We come face-to-face -face with the very thing that's holding us back. And that's where we say, God, we, we yield this, we surrender this to you. And God, I don't, I'm not going to be owned by this. I'm not going to be controlled by this. God, I want, I want to be a hundredfold fruitful to you, whatever that looks like. Okay?
All right, let's, let's go back to the nice picture. What does a hundredfold fruitfulness look like? Because see, in, 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 in uh, orchard or gardening terms, a tree that's producing a hundredfold, that's a beautiful thing. That's a glorious thing. I mean, when you got a hundredfold tr fruitful tree, you're protecting that thing from every disease and every varmint out there. I mean, you're, you're, it's, it's your prize, right? So it's a good thing, you know. When we th when, but what we tend to do is we tend to associate a hundredfold fruitfulness with the work, with the struggle, with the cost of what it's going to take to get to here. And when we associate it with this, this is not desirable. Nobody likes to pay a cost. Nobody likes to struggle. Nobody likes to, to struggle with, uh, and, and uh, sacrifice for things. But this is the cost. But when we focus it on, when we put our focus on the prize of what a hundredfold fruitfulness looks like, then we're willing to pay the cost. Now, guys, I know, I know each and every one of us know how to do this because you go to the car lot and you walk around that car lot and you find that one that is worth the money you're willing to pay for it, right? You do. And you know how hard you worked for that money? You know how much you struggled to earn that money to pay for this car that is worth the money? That all those years and all that work and all that sweat and all that labor, only to find out five years from now, that car's not worth that money anymore. We do this every day, but we need to associate the right value to what God has put value on, which is a hundredfold fruitfulness, and so that we say this is worth whatever struggle, whatever battle, whatever cost we have to pay to get here, this is worth it, whatever the price. Okay, now when we look at, when we look at the faith that God has for, for us to walk in, it's not just the hundredfold. I like to say it this way. It's the exponential fold. It's the exponential faith. Okay, in John chapter 14, verse 12, he says, he, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So he's telling us, that those that believe the works that Christ does, he, we will do also, right? Man, you know how far away we are from that? I mean, we're just, oh God, please heal them of a cold. Lord God, make that fever go away. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. That's great. But we are so short of what God has envisioned for us to walk in. But not only that, he said the works that, 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 that they will do, they will do greater works than these. Exponential. He never intended for us to look at just a testimony and go, oh, well, he raised the dead, so we can raise the dead. You know, he never, I mean, that's big, don't get me wrong, but, but, but he never intended for us to look at that and to see it in that little scope of potential of what we saw. 
He intended for us to take that one testimony and go, God, how does this apply over here? How does this apply over here? How does this, this same seed work? How does it grow in all these other places? He intended that. How do we know that? Because from the feeding of the, of the 5,000, he expected them to use that seed, use that testimony to work when they were on the boat struggling or when they were worried about whether God was upset about them because they didn't have enough bread. He expected them to utilize that same faith, that same potential to do it bigger, to do it, to do it more. Find out ways. This, God can use the Word of God one way, but it's, it, it has a, it's a multifaceted tool. It has the ability to be applied in a lot of different ways. Now, look at, look at a few people. I want, to, I want to just share a few things that we know of that were a little out of the ordinary. They didn't have a precedent that we know of, or that I know of anyways, and, and so, you know, go back to the Old Testament, Naaman, Naaman full of leprosy, and, and the prophet tells him to go dipping in the river seven times. Now, this is ridiculous by natural standards, right? By natural law. Go dip in the muddy Jordan River seven times, and you'll be healed of your leprosy. Well, that's never happened before, you know? So we go down and dip. And, of course, somebody makes some big theological, you know, religious thing out of it eventually somewhere. But we know it's simply that God wants to work through faith that is beyond what the natural mind can conceive, okay? Name is leprosy. Mary, when, with the, the wedding at Cana and, and the water, she knew something about Jesus. She had taken in words all her, her motherhood that she didn't understand, she didn't comprehend, but the Bible says that she kept them treasured in her heart. She held them close to her because she knew that there was something about those words, something about those prophetic words over, over Jesus, something about what was being said and done that was going to come to light. And she's seen a glimpse of how that thing could be played out there at that wedding in Canaan, just looked at people and said, listen, just whatever he says, do it. Just do it. I don't care how bizarre it is, just just do it, right? So Mary steps outside of the norm, does something different. The Syrophoenician woman with the, with the demonized daughter, you know, she, she, she grabbed hold of a, of a characteristic of God that was outside of her, her covenant uh, ability to, to grab a hold of, and yet she stretched beyond that, beyond that, that uh, boundary, and grabbed a hold by faith for her daughter, and, she re and her daughter was delivered from that demon. A woman with the issue of blood could, could, would reach out and touch the hem of his garment. Why? Nobody ever told her that before. Nobody ever said, hey, if you touch that hem of that garment, you'll get healed. I mean, that would have been, you know, you'd have had all the priests walking around going, going like this. Touch the hem of my garment. Nobody told her that before, but something in what she had heard, something in what she had seen was a seed planted inside her. And somewhere in there, Holy Spirit dug up another way to apply that word. And, she, and it came into her mind just, just to touch the hem of his garment, and she was healed. There was a man in, in uh, Mark chapter 9, there's a man that's casting out demons in the name of Jesus. We don't even know the guy's name just a man. There was a man who was casting out demons, driving them out in Jesus' name. And you know what the disciples did? They rebuked him. <laughs> they said, they said we, you know, hey, Jesus, we just want you to know we're protecting your ministry. You know, we're, we're, making sure, we're, we're making sure that nobody else is infringing on our territory, you know, and, and we're, we're keeping this all safe, okay? And so, so, 
we've seen this guy who's driving out demons, you know, which we've really only seen you do. So, uh, you know, and we told him to stop because he didn't follow with us. He didn't walk with us. You know, that's our ministry. I'm not going to let that do it. This man had the audacity to see something, hear something, and walk in it beyond, beyond what anybody gave him permission to do, beyond what any, any ordained certificate would tell him, hey, now you can go out and cast out devils. He seen something, he heard something, and had the audacity to say, this will work in my life too, and he put it to work. In Acts chapter 19, never before seen and done that I know of. Verses 11 and 12 says, Handkerchiefs or aprons were, were even carried from his body to the sick, and, de- and diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out. Never before seen. Never before. And yet these people took a truth of the word of God. And they said, God, show us how to apply it to to another area. Show us how to use it over here. Show us how to use it over here. Show us how to do that. And and people were being set free and delivered. From 3,000 people being saved on on the day of Pentecost to the one Ethiopian eunuch who's being met supernaturally by Philip to receive the gospel. From all these things never before seen. We've heard testimonies. Pastors talked about a lot of them. Uh, you know, we've heard testimonies of, of men of God in, in, in times past. That's a sad statement. That have walked into warehouses and the conviction of God grip everybody so much that they can't even perform their work. They just got to stop. They got to repent and they got to get saved. Right. You know, we've heard testimonies of people doing things that were, you know, I, I think it was a Smith Wigglesworth one where, where somebody had, somebody had died and, and they were having a wake or something like that for him. And, 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 uh, Smith was told about it and he was asked to come out and, and pray for him. And he goes out there and the man's laying there in his casket and he reaches in and grabs the guy out of the casket and stands him against the wall and says, says, I don't know if he says walk or live, but live in the name of Jesus. And he lets go of him and the guy falls to the ground. So he reaches down, grabs him, picks him up again, and he sticks him up there, and he goes, live in the name of Jesus. And he lets go of him, and the guy falls to the ground. So he reaches down a third time, grabs him, picks him up, and says, live in the name of Jesus. And the guy takes off walking. Why? Setbacks and leap forwards. You know, we, we have to get some determination in the vision of a hundredfold fruitfulness so that in whatever thing that we are challenged with, it's just a challenge. That's it. It's just a challenge. Does anybody like a challenge? I know most of you do. Anybody like being competitive? You know, you like a challenge? You know, it doesn't have to come easy. In fact, sometimes the tougher it is, you know, the, 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 the sweeter the victory. Amen? So... There are things that there's keeping our eyes on the hundredfold fruitfulness, letting that just, you know, infiltrate our thinking, our vision. Think about it, dwell on it, meditate upon it. You know, in, in a lot of uh, teaching or, or ways of teaching, one of the things that they say in order to get somebody to believe something is, it was that in order for them to believe it, they have to hear it or see it at least seven times. Seven times. 
You know, so when you're reading the Word of God and you see something in there that speaks to you, grab hold of that thing. Don't run away from it. Right. Stay right there yeah. and, and bask on it. Right. Talk to at least seven people about it, all right? Yeah. Just do that, okay? Read it at least seven days in a row. Yeah. You know, think about it for at least more than seven minutes, yeah. you know? Uh, let it just, just become a part of your thinking and the way that, that you, you, you're, you're being, because something really neat's going to happen. When we look at this parable, the parable of the sower, if you don't understand this parable, how will you understand all of them? And it's interesting to look at this parable in light of some of the parables that follow immediately after it. And there's a few that are in Matthew, and mostly Matthew and Mark. But uh, one of the parables that follow after it is, is tares among wheat, the parable of the tares. And that's where, where God has sown the, the word of God, which is representative of the wheat. And someone came at night and sowed tares, which tares is a, a very uh, vicious weed. It'll overtake. And it, it looks like wheat up to a certain point in its maturity level. But tares among wheat, what I'm telling you, this is in that, in that parable, he says, an enemy, who's our enemy? Satan has sown these tares among, among this wheat. But here's, my, here's the point with that. Seed is being sown one way or another. We are, there is no vacuum in just avoiding what is coming into our life because we all have a belief system, and there's one belief system that's right, and there's multiple belief systems that's wrong. And so seed is sown no matter what. No matter what you do, you are, you are consuming some thought, some word, some idea all the time. Right. Or you're creating your own all the time. Right. So the challenge here is, is that we want to grab hold of the truth of God's word and, and, and only allow him to grow in our garden. Right. Okay? The parable of the mustard seed says that this mustard seed, when it's sown is the smallest of all seeds of the garden, of all the seeds. And it was interesting because in, I think it's in, in Luke that's, or Mark that says that of all the seeds that are upon the soil. So in my mind, I've seen this picture. You've got a mustard seed that is the ideal of the kingdom of God, representing that. But then you've got all these other seeds that are also on the soil. All these other seeds. And it says this seed is the smallest of them all. You know what that means? In seed form, it's the least impressive. It's the least one to grab your attention. It's the least one that's going to that's gonna wow you at the moment. Okay? It's not, it's not going to have that immediate, you go, this small seed, this small seed is the ideal seed. Are you serious in the natural? Are you serious? You say, well... If you just believe the word of God, Jesus said one thing to, to uh, Martha, and, and he said, just believe and you shall and you'll see, what, how do you say it, the resurrection power of God, something like that. So believing in that one little thing, but you know, Jesus, I don't quite get that, and that's not really 
giving me any instant gratification here. I'm not really getting a lot out of this right now, Lord. I, I, think, I think I would rather you just cry with me and mourn with me and, you know, and make me feel better. You know, well, I could do that, but I plan on bringing him back to life. Which would you prefer? Okay. I mean, we can either mourn with or we can remove the reason we're mourning. So this seed is unimpressive in its natural form, but when we see it for the goal of what it is of a hundredfold fruitfulness, then you go, wow, this is the most powerful thing known to mankind. This is the most powerful thing known to man. It has the ability to create. It has the ability to heal, to recover, to redeem, to save. It has the ability to set free, to cast out and deliver. Wow, it's the most powerful thing known to mankind. But it's just a little book. It's just a, just a little word. It's just a, a little sentence. Oh, the seed when it's sown. Bill Johnson said, talking about this uh, parable one time, he said, the, the, the thing about the thorny ground is not, not that, uh, you know, that the seed was growing, but it's, it was its willingness to accept other seed, to accept other truth. There's only one truth, and that's, and that's his. All right, moving on. Treasure in a field. I like this one. I skipped one. Uh, leaven hid in three pecks of flour. Uh, that when that leaven was hid, it's, it's hidden that three pecks of flour till the whole thing is, is, is leavened. Uh, so the picture there is that we hide the word of God in our heart. When you hide the word, how do you hide the word of God? How do you hide it in your heart? You're not really hiding anything, okay? It's not, it's just a picture. You're, you're, what you're hiding it from is you're putting it in a place inside of you where nobody can come and find it and steal it, Okay? where nobody can come and take it away from you because the devil's after the seed of truth that he's trying to sow in, in our lives and you're putting it in a place. You're putting it in a secure place, okay? We may hide it right out in the open, but we're securing that thing to where no matter what, we're not letting go of this. Have you ever had a tug of war with, a, with something with somebody else and somebody ends up winning? You know who won? The person that didn't let go, right? All right. Uh, treasure in, in a field. He, it's like a man who found treasure in a field. He hid it again, put it in that secure place where nobody can come find it, and he went and sold everything that he had and bought the entire field. Okay. He already decided that everything that he had had less value than the treasure that was in the field. And why buy the whole field? Why buy the whole field? Because... If there's this treasure in that field, there's bound to be more. There's bound to be more in that field. So I'm going to buy the whole field. Why? Because it's not just this one revelation. You know, we get this one revelation. Oh, God, I know you just like, wow. We're, yes, we've arrived. Yes. And then we go over here and we realize, uh, 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 you want me to cast out that devil, God? Uh, 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 uh. Maybe I don't know you like I thought I knew you, Lord. <laughs> There's more treasure to be had, but grab hold of that seed that you got and, and, and let it grow. But, uh, but there's more, more and more treasure to be found. Costly pearl, again, selling everything that he has. 
knowing that that pearl has much more value than, than, than everything he possessed. Par parable of the lamp, nothing hidden except what is to be revealed. Everything in God that, that has been hidden was hidden for a purpose to be revealed. It was meant to be discovered. It was meant to be found by those who will search for it. Meant to be. Parable of the seed, the soil, uh, the seed goes in the ground and it overnight it just begins to spring up and here comes the, the, the little stem and then here comes the leaf and it just begins to form. And the parable says, how it grows? Don't know. So there's that mystery element that when, when we put the seed of God in our heart and we hide it there and we, allow, and we, and we keep it, and we can say, God, we're not, just like David said, thy word have I hid in my heart so I will not sin against you. We keep it there and we don't let anybody steal it and we don't let anybody take it away. It is, it is beginning to grow and you don't even know how. Why? Because God has created us that when that word comes into us, that that our very being responds to the word. I think of the two disciples that were, were on the road uh, after Jesus had, had died and was buried and resurrected, and, and, and they're walking, they're all in the gloomy because they're sad because Jesus is now gone and everything they, they had worked for was now just you know uncertain. And Jesus comes up beside them and they begin to discuss the word of God. And they're discussing all the prophecies and the words that were, were told about, him, about Jesus and, and how they were all being fulfilled and everything was just spot on. And after Jesus vanished from them, the disciples said, did not our hearts burn within us? Why? Because they were talking about the word. They were talking about the prophetic word. They, and it was, it, was, it was changing something. There was, there was a feeling. There was, there was a transformation. Something was growing, and they didn't even know how. It was just happening. And that's what happens when we nurture the word of God in our own heart and our life. Okay, so what have we learned? What to do when the seed of the word of God comes? What's the seed of the word of God? It's his thoughts. It's his intentions towards us. Uh, number one, our job is to receive that word, believe it, and seek, it, seek understanding of that word. That's our job. Because if we don't receive that word, the enemy is going to come and say, well, I just don't understand that. So here's what we do. If we don't understand it, we just throw it away, right? No. We have to hold on to it and cleave to it and receive it, believe it, believe it. Why? Why am I believing it? Do you understand it? No. Why am I believing it? Because you are the one that has the words of eternal life. No man ever spoke like this man. Nobody ever, nobody ever did the things that he did. And so I'm, so I'm taking this word, and Jesus said this in, in, in uh, John chapter 14, actually. He said, he said, either believe me for the word's sake or believe me for the work's sake. In other words, you know, you see in the fruitfulness of, of this word, you may not understand it, but believe it anyways, okay? Uh, hide it. Secondly, hide it in a place that no one will be able to take it from you. Bury it deep in your heart. Value it beyond all other possessions, thoughts, or ideas. Value the word beyond all other possessions, thoughts, or ideas. Make this 
important. Why? Because this is the seed that gets us to the hundredfold fruitfulness. This is the labor of digging and searching and finding and understanding and discovering and, and getting revelation that takes us to get to the hundredfold fruitfulness of God. Basking it in prayer, meditating on it before the Lord, allowing God to reveal it, allowing the Holy Spirit to reveal truth to us and, and have him unfold it, show it, showing us how this word applies in the character and nature of Jesus Christ himself. Just turning it and churning it to where we see this thing begin to grow because it's our destiny to walk in the hundredfold fruitfulness of God. Invest in it. Spend time with it. Meditate on it. Imagine, imagine its potent, the potential of its application. Think outside the box. That's a popular term. Think beyond what has normally happened and think how can, how can God's faithfulness, God's word, God's love, God's power. How can God's mercy and grace apply in this situation? Don't write off the hopeless. Don't turn your back on the needy. There's an opportunity for something dynamic to happen. Trust it. God's word's designed to work and flourish inside of you. It's designed to, it's designed to promote the kingdom of God inside of you, and you can trust it that it's going to work even though you don't know how. And lastly, I'd say fight for it. Run with it and guard it. 2 Timothy 4, 7, Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. I have fought the good fight. That's a battle. That's a struggle. I know that, that in order to get this train moving, I got I to gotta put, put my shoulder against it, and I got to push with everything I've got. It's funny how, uh, how hard it is to get a train moving but how much harder it is to get it stopped. So you got to push against that. You got to struggle. You got to fight. You got to know that there's going to be things that are coming after your faith. There's going to be things that are going to coming after you to shipwreck you, to sidetrack you, to distract you. And you got to fight to stay on focus. You got to fight for it. And then you got to run with it. You got to run. It's, when you're running a race, you don't have time to stop and chit chat. You don't have time to stop and go, oh, well, let me take care of that for you. Yeah. You know, we are on a course. We are headed for a finish line. We, got, we are going for a prize. We are going for an ultimate goal. We don't have time. So in order to do this, we got to engage in the run. We got to race. We got to get up and say, God, I'm not running my race anymore. I'm running your race. God, I'm not going after my treasures, my, my kingdom. I'm going after your treasures and your kingdom, God. And I want to run this race faithfully. I want to run it until I cross the finish line. Until I cross the finish line. Everybody say finish line. Finish line. We ain't there yet. Okay. You want to run it, and then you got to guard it. You got to keep it. I've kept the faith because you know that the enemy's coming to steal. So you got to say, God, I know how this thing should look. I got a vision of what it should, what you want it to look like. I know the cost that has to be paid, and I'm willing to pay that cost. And God, I'm going to, I'm going to protect that thinking right there until we reach the very end. I'm done. All right. So. What's the goal? Imagine what a hundredfold fruitfulness looks like. Imagine what it, what it can be in our life. What happens when that is actually working full steam? What is impossible 
for those that believe. What can the Spirit of God not do through you in any situation? In any situation. God, I thank you, Lord God. Stand with me if you will. We're going to worship. You know, to go and sell everything that we have to possess the treasure, that's a pretty big commitment. It's a pretty big commitment. And not one to be made lightly. I really want us all to see, I want to see it more of what that hundredfold fruitfulness would look like so that we can get a vision of it and say, God, whatever we have to pay to get there, that's what we want. But I also know the challenge of sacrificing everything to get there. The challenge that it would take to say no to some things because we have a much bigger yes that we want to say yes to. God, I just ask you to search our hearts right now. I ask you to search our hearts right now. God, what can I lay down right now, Lord God? Or Lord, can we just say, Lord, prune us. Cut away the dead branches. Cut away the things that are taking and not giving. Cut away the things that are consuming us beyond our purpose and our call. Cut away the distractions that take us away from the vision of what you have for us, Lord God. What you want to do for us individually, what you want to do for us as a body. What does a hundredfold ministry look like? What does a hundredfold worship look like? What does a hundredfold ministry time, altar services, what does that look like? What's a hundredfold worship? What's a hundredfold discipleship look like? Pastor's been calling out of this body gifts, calling them forward. What do those gifts look like when they're operating at a hundredfold? Wow, God. Wow. Wow. <laughs> what other church would you want to go to when you see that happening? Not that that's wrong, I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying, where else would you want to be but in that effectiveness, that, that presence, that glory, that freedom, salvation? Where else would you want to be? Jesus. God creating us a clean heart, renewing us a right spirit, Lord God. Holy Spirit, take us. Take us all the way. Lift our feet.
Step us into your promised land. Move us outside of our normal plans and goals and ideas into your plans and goals and ideas. Lord, make us your powerhouse in the world so that, Lord, people are saved, people are delivered, redeemed, set free. And, Lord, they're, they're healed and set in their right mind. Always, Lord God, that you'd be glorified. Lord, you said whatever we ask in your name, that you would do it. Whatever we ask. Wow. Wow. What a responsibility. What a responsibility. Thank you, Lord. Bless you, Father God. I think there's times that we've looked at ourselves, probably looked at ourselves today, a little bit discouraged. Where is everybody? All I see is God's potential right here, right now. And you, and each of you, we need some Caleb anointings. God give us strength at 80 years old. God give us strength to possess the land which you've called us to possess. God, give us strength in our latter years. God, give us a Caleb anointing upon this house, Lord God. That we would drive out the inhabitants of the land. That we would drive out the area that's possessing the promises that were meant for us. That we'd drive out those that are withholding or resisting the kingdom of God. Thank you, Lord God. There's lots of evil out there in our community, in our culture, that you and I have a solution for. It may be preaching the gospel. It may be interceding against the, the, the drug pushers and all that. It may be evangelizing, going in and healing the sick. It may be a lot of different ways. But you and I possess the answer to the problems that our culture and our area possess. One in five have... Have uh, mental disorders in our area. We possess the power to bring people back to their right mind. One in five. Abuse of all sorts. Father, we thank you.